welcome to the Dr. Body, Mind, Soul podcast. My name is Jude and I'm a doctor, healer, seeker and guide here to help you navigate the world of alternative therapies. In this new season, we will be welcoming witchy women, asking authors, getting geeky and sharing seeker stories so we can all have the knowledge and confidence to access truly holistic healthcare. So I would like to welcome my mum, Dr. Maria Gallia, to our first Get Geeky episode. Now, my mum is a newly retired GP, and I've always known her to have her nose in a journal. She's obsessively read research throughout her long career as a GP, and she goes through all of my research reviews before I publish them on the website. So I thought it was about time to welcome her onto the podcast to discuss this month's review. Welcome, Mum. Thank you very much, Judy, for asking me to be part of your podcast. I'm very honoured. Thank you, Mum. You're more than welcome. And the study that we have chosen to review today is really a hot off the press study accepted into the American Journal of Preventative Cardiology in October 2021. And it's in its pre-proof form, which means that it has been peer reviewed and it can be cited. However, it's not yet published and there may just be little alterations. It is a review article called Agricultural Policy and Its Societal Factors Influence Patients' Ability to Follow a Healthy Diet by Gautam Ramesh and Danielle Bellardo et al. And this article really caught my attention because it challenges the, the convention that public policy is there to protect our health. And this review article calls that into question and shows us some of the conflicts of interest within the government, which actually prevents it from seeing this aim through, which I found quite depressing to read at times. Yeah, because you would you would think that public policy is purely based on scientific evidence. And 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 yeah, it is disappointing, although um one might call us naive, but it, it is disappointing to see how many conflicts of interest uh, there are in the in the making of such a policy. And public health policy, you know. Just going into the article a little bit, this review article actually uses data from the interheart and interstroke studies, huge studies looking at the risk of cardiovascular and cerebrovascular disease. So that is heart attacks and strokes. These are the leading causes of death within the Western world. So this is really important information. And it shows us that if we lead a healthy lifestyle, so if we change our lifestyle, we could reduce the risk of these diseases by up to 80%, which is just huge. And this article also shows us that the drugs we use only have an impact of 10 to 25% of a reduction in that risk, which I found quite shocking. Yeah, I suppose one one could one could say that the drugs are often used once one recognizes that um, somebody is either at high risk of developing disease or 
one or somebody has already had the disease. So either primary prevention or secondary prevention. In other words, you're using them in a select population of people who are prone to cardiovascular disease. Whereas changing into a healthy lifestyle could be done by basically the whole population. I see. So you're saying actually that could be skewing yeah, these percentages. Could, it could be skewing the percentages, but you get a far better outcome, obviously, by changing lifestyle than by giving drugs. And yet so much of the budget is spent on the drugs rather than on a real drive to prevent disease. I think this article shows us we could be saving, this is based on American figures, but one quarter of a 3.5 trillion annual healthcare budget. So this change in policy could make an enormous difference. However, it's uh, when you're speaking to somebody in the surgery and you tell them to alter their, their lifestyle, uh, their diet, you you would be thinking immediately of, oh, well, this patient, if they have enough willpower, is going to be able to change their lifestyle. Reading this article, you realize how much the choice of the individual is not a pure choice. It is influenced by loads of other things out with the control of the patient. For instance, the availability of healthier foods, the price of what we consider healthier food, it's not all down to willpower by any means. We have subsidies in the Western, in most of the Western world, subsidies on the raw materials for energy dense processed foods. Yeah, this is what I found really surprising, actually. So this paper really highlights that food subsidies are on crops of corn and sorghum, dairy and meat. These are all products that go against the scientific consensus of what makes up a healthy diet. So it calls into question then why the government are subsidizing such industries when they're not supporting our food choices in a healthy way, because by subsidizing these foods, they go on the market below market value. They become an easier choice for low-income families in particular. Yeah, you are affecting the vulnerable. You're affecting the uh, people who live in, in high areas of deprivation far more than people who can afford to go and buy more expensive, um, healthier foods, for instance. Yeah. Instead of like protecting those who are vulnerable, it's almost exploiting them and really targeting them for the advertising that is used as well, which is highlighted in this study, just how much money goes into advertising of these energy-dense, nutrient-poor foods, especially to children. In some cases, food companies hiring child psychologists to help influence them to buy these cheap and unhealthy foods. And by targeting children, you then impact their food choices kind of for life, Yeah, which again is known by the food companies because that's why they're employing child psychologists. So it's almost kind of got that flavor of the tobacco industry in, a, in some ways. Yeah, because in one of the disincentives for people 
to buy unhealthy foods is to put a tax, in fact, not make it, not subsidize it and make it cheaper, but actually put a tax on it. Uh, for instance, like the perverted sugar tax, you you therefore make it far less attractive for people to go out and, and buy these foods in abundance. Um, the, the other um, incentive would be to make fruit and vegetables more easily accessible in various areas and, and, the, and also to subsidize them, make them cheaper. But that's the whole, um, I think, shocking part of the study or frustrating part of the study is that instead of doing those things to support a healthier lifestyle, which is what you'd expect from a public health policy, it instead supports the health of the the deep the deep pockets within these food industries. And I think that that's what this review article really brings to light and makes quite um, clear. The article does highlight the North Korea study, which was a, um, a study done in, um, in Finland back in the uh, 70s. It was noted that in this place in North Korea, there was a very high incidence of cardiovascular disease. People really wanted to reduce the risk factors. And the, the way they did it very, very successfully was by a truly communal effort into targeting various ways in which people became educating more people, not just children, but also people of all ages, distributing different recipes which for easy, healthy, healthy foods. And together, they managed to reduce the incidence of heart disease by something like 64%. And over a period of time, even increase the life expectancy by six years. Yeah, yeah. Which just goes to show that actually, if there is a concerted effort, then we could really make a big difference. But the lobbying, I'm sure, for the food industry is so strong, just as we've seen it work against the health and interests of the people um, in other areas, most notably our, in, our, in our most current climate conference. So, yeah, it's a real problem. But I think that this article was just really interesting to me in bringing this, this to light and making it explicit, which I'm really grateful for. Yeah. yeah the message for me was very much that um, the awareness when you are advising patients that it's not all up to them. It's not as simple as change your diet. And if you don't change it, it's because you are in some way or other lacking in willpower. Loads of factors go into go against them, in fact, when making this change. And those and those um factors are coming from the top. Yeah. Which and I that's think where we where the influence that's that's where you have the most powerful effect, isn't it, by changing the policy and changing it based on scientific rather than financial gains. Exactly, exactly. It's really follow the science. However, not just the tagline, it needs to be followed up with true action. So thanks very much, Mum, for, for discussing that. Thank you very much for making it my very first podcast in my life. So even in my mature age, I still have firsts. There we go. There we go. It's a first all round. Thanks, Mum. Well, I hope you enjoyed that Getting Geeky episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. If you want to read my full research review with a link to this article, please head to my website at www.drbodymindsoul.com 
or sign up to my newsletter where you will get it delivered straight to your inbox. If you have an article you would like me to review, please reach out by email or on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. And I'll be back next week with our very first secret story where we will hear from a patient's perspective, one who has used both modern medicine and alternative approaches to support their healing journey. I hope you can join me. And until then, I truly hope you all have a holistically healthy week.